on today's Stuck In. It feels like everyone today is either taking an injury, getting the sack, or getting hacked on Twitter. Wink, wink. But somehow Jared and I have managed to avoid all three of those and will continue to suffer only from podcasting incompetence and general lack of knowledge, but are at least available for selection to bring you the latest in the footballing world. Anyway, we've got more ground to cover than a theoretical Iceland to Kazakhstan Euro qualifier. So, without further ado, let's get stuck in. Welcome to Stuck In, a Farmers League soccer podcast. Today is Monday, October 10th, 2022, uh, and we're going to dive right into it. Uh, we've got plenty of domestic league action to cover, uh, but first, Jared, some international updates, including the Euro 2024 draw. Uh, didn't the last tournament like literally just happen? Uh, and what is now becoming uh, and probably will stay a trend, uh, injuries leading up to Qatar. Uh, y- you might think that those will play uh, somewhat of a factor uh, in the tournament coming up this November. Uh, next, which is next month. Holy shit. Just to say it out loud is insane. Um, so, yeah, we're going to cover those things and then, yeah, dive into the domestic league. Uh, let's start it off with that Euro 2024 draw. Uh, again, Jared, I mean, is like is time just like not a thing anymore? Like, I literally feel like this one just happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, especially now with the Nations League kind of extended out a little bit more. I think it just these things take a while. And of course, Euro 2020 taking place a year later. Uh, qualifying always starts pretty much immediately after the World Cup for Euros. They kind of work in that two-year cycle. So in theory, in a normal year, right, uh, the World Cup would have happened in in summer of 2022, and then the qualifiers would have started in September of 2022. So in this case, obviously, uh, that whole timeline's pushed back. Uh, Pretty much all the group matches will just happen during the year next year, and then they have the playoffs, and I probably, I assume, March of 2024, and then Right back into another Euro. So, yeah, a hamster wheel truly does never stop. Yeah, I was literally just going to say the wheel just keeps on turning. Time is a flat circle. All that stuff, man. It's crazy. But, hey, we're not going to complain, right? The more football, the better. Um, so, yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about these these draws. Um, and, Jared, real quick before I go into the groups, um, can you kind of explain the, the process here? I'm guessing your typical, you know, pot one, pot two, all that stuff drawn into this, that, the other thing based on coefficients that are bullshit and all that stuff. Yeah, so the big things here is that, again, the four semifinalists for the Nations League are automatically uh, kind of the, the top here um, in terms of uh, kind of their seating and being put into pots. Really, the entire pot system is based on the Nations League, more or less. Yeah. Uh, those teams are in smaller groups, so they have time to go play their, their semis in the final and so on and so forth. 
Uh, also remember that a bunch of teams uh, have through their nation's league spot qualified for at least the playoffs of this, uh, of, of the Euro 2024 qualifying. So for example, like a Spain, if they were to not finish in the top two of their group would still have a chance to play their way in. So if you're, if you're doing the Wikipedia thing where you're looking at this, you'll see all the X's already for these teams that are pretty much already in a playoff spot, even though it hasn't started. Um, top two teams in each group do make the Euros, which is kind of a, a recent change as opposed to kind of the, the, uh, the, the more traditional playoffs they used to have. Mm. Uh, obviously, Germany as host is already in. Um, kind of surprised they didn't just like throw them in one of these groups just for the games. But uh, I guess with Nations League, I guess they'll get enough. And uh, I guess of note, um, Russia not even entered into qualifying. Uh, obviously, they're assuming that nothing uh, is going to be fixed certainly in the next six months before this qualifying starts. So Russia will not be uh, qualifying at all uh, or try- attempting to qualify. They're still banned and obviously will remain so for the foreseeable future. And good riddance because fuck those guys and, and fuck Putin. Uh, sorry, not to get too political here, but I mean, did <laughs> that, you know, Ukraine blows up that bridge leading to Crimea and then Putin retaliates and, and, and says, this is revenge for what you did to us. It's like, dude, fuck you so hard. Like, oh, my God, I'm just, I hate Russia so much. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah, let's let's talk about the actual football. Uh, thank God they're not involved. Um, but yeah, Jared, looking at some of these groups and, and we're not going to go through everyone and all the teams and everything. It's it's your pretty usual. You know, you got your world superpower and then and, you know, the minnows at the bottom and then some like middling teams. Uh, but again, yeah, the top two qualifying, which for some groups is almost like a foregone conclusion, uh, especially like Group A, when you have two, you know, top teams, two heavyweights in Spain and Scotland, you know, Scotland being the best uh, British side uh, out there. Uh, and then some other groups that are just kind of like this honestly could be between like three, four, even five teams, maybe. Um, but yeah, looking at Group A, you've got Spain and Scotland at the top there. Group B, the Dutch and the French. So it's like poor Ireland, you know, Greece, Gibraltar don't stand a chance, obviously. Then uh, in, you know, the whole like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Group C, it's like, come on, they kind of like made this one happen here. Italy and England uh, in the same group there uh, with North Macedonia, obviously the, the team that knocked uh, Italy out of the World Cup in the playoff uh, just a few months ago. Uh, and then, but then, yeah, you go to like these other groups and like group D top two teams are Croatia and Wales and like no disrespect to Croatia, but they're not like uh, France. They're not like the top world superpower. Uh, and, and Wales, I know they've come on strong and everything, but like, that's the second top team in the group. And then group E like Poland and Czechia. Uh, okay. Group F, you know, Belgium and, and Austria has kind of fallen off a little bit, but like group G Hungary and Serbia are the top two teams. Group H look at that one, Jared. Denmark is the pot one team there. And then you have Finland, Slovenia, Kazakhstan, Northern Ireland, and San Marino. Uh, and, and not for anything, but group I, uh, Israel's got a shot at it. You know, Switzerland is the top, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the pot one team there. And then like Romania, Kosovo, Belarus, Andorra. Uh, and then last but not least, you know, Portugal with pretty much a cakewalk in, in Group J, uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Iceland, Luxembourg, Slovakia and Liechtenstein. But but yeah, did you see a little bit of disparity there? Yeah. And I, and I think this goes back to seeding it by the, the Nations League. And I, and, I, and I get the sense that they might never do this again, because to your point, you know, you have a, a team like Hungary. Who is who was you know a pot one team in this right? They they were a top team because they did very well in the Nations League, you know, uh, and, and of course they are now a pot one team. Whereas England and France and you know you can even say Wales and Serbia and a couple of these other teams that are you know World Cup sides uh, 
are pot two teams. And so now, you, as you talked about, England being thrown in a group with Italy, who, despite not making the World Cup, is, of course, as we said, a Nations League uh, semifinalist, so they're in pot one. And so I think that what you have is that this situation where now you have teams that are that are mispotted, uh, both for good and for bad. And right. so I think it leads to, as you said, a, a group with Italy, England, Ukraine, and North Macedonia. And for a Euros group, that's really tough. Yeah. And we've we've made a lot of jokes about England's cakewalk, uh, you know, draws in the past to get into the World Cups and Euros. This is certainly not that. It's just like karmic retribution for so many years of just like waltzing through, you know, groups with San Marino and right. Andorra in it. And and to, and as you said at the end, like Portugal has a, a relatively joke of a group, right? Bosnia, Iceland, Luxembourg, Slovakia, and Liechtenstein. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, there is a bit of a disparity. Um, the, 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 the chaotic part of me, like I really actually enjoy it because I think it's a lot more fun than when every group is like, just like a by the book. Okay. Insert big team here. Yeah. Insert like next level team here. And then four minnows where, you know, there's like no drama, like Euro qualifying by and large for 2020, I thought was, was about as, as less, least dramatic as, as you Oh, know. that was chalk. That was just straight. It was, right. It was, it was, it was just relatively boring. And I think at least in this sense, there, there might be, um, a little more drama that said the first time, you know, England needs to win like their last game at home or something against Ukraine to qualify for euros. Then you can imagine they won't be using this nation's league thing anymore. As I said, um, well, Jared, can I just uh, push back on one thing though? You said about like being mispotted, like are hungry mispotted though. Cause like the proof's in the pudding and they got the results and, you know, mispotted maybe in terms of like, you know, traditional, uh, traditionally how they've been potted and how they perform. But like, their performances probably warranted a pot one draw. I guess I, I more mean that in the sense that that the pots historically are based on a more objective metric. And like, you know, Hungary right now is like, and again, FIFA rankings, be that uh, be they what they are, they're 36th in the world. And, you know, and if you just yeah. separate it by European teams, they're, you know, whatever, 15th or 17th or whatever among European teams. Mm -hmm. So I only mean that not necessarily. I, I agree with you that they've they've earned it based on the way they have played against England and Germany and Italy. But again, that's still saying you're a pot one team because you played like four or five really good games, ignoring the fact that you didn't make the World Cup and you, you or, and so on and so forth. So I, I guess in that sense is what I'm, you know, by any ranking system that we will use is that Hungary should not probably be ranked ahead of England other than the fact that they had two really good results against them in the Nations League, which we're still calling somewhat glorified friendly. So is that fair? Is that totally fair to say, hey, we're going to treat these things half and half real games or not, but we're going to use them for this very real thing. And so that and that's, I guess, really more where I come from it. OK, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. And, and I agree with you uh, just in the broader sense of, uh, you know, just something different here. And, yeah, some of these, uh, you know, groups are a little top heavy, which, which you like, because, you know, that adds a little bit of drama. And let's say, uh, you know, in, in Group B, instead of France, you know, is the pot two team, you know, Chechi is in there. Then it's just like the Dutch chalk. And then in Group B, you know, poor Poland feels hard done by because now it's France, you know, in that group or whatever. And they're probably going to roll through that. Uh, same thing. Why doesn't Finland get drawn into Group C? You know, so it's Italy and Finland and then like Denmark and England there, you know, but but then it's just kind of like we've seen this movie before. No drama, no nothing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I like the way that it shook out. 
Yeah, and again, these teams, a lot of these teams do have that backdoor as well, which kind of adds a little bit more flexibility. So, yeah, I, th- I think it, it, as I said, I think this is not necessarily the fairest way, but I do think it makes for the most exciting qualifying. And so, uh, you know, I look, I'm not putting any cart before horse, but I do look forward to seeing how these games start to uh, to play out next year. Obviously, a little bit, uh, um, some important things before that, but nonetheless, I'm still excited to see some of these matches. Yeah, very good. Um, anything else on that, Jared? Again, like I said, Group I, man. I mean, <laughs> and Google sent me an article. They, mu- they must have known I was thinking about it. Uh, you know, but Israel have a chance to make Euro 2024 in that group. Yeah, they. Uh, I'm not going to say they should because I think Romania is, is obviously a good team. Uh, but I think that they're clearly better than Kosovo, Belarus, and Andorra. Uh, and again, they probably might be able to play with a little bit more of that freedom, knowing, again, they are uh, they were a team that were promoted in the Nations League. They have a playoff spot as well locked up. And so even if, you know, they don't play particularly well and they um, – you know, you know, Romania finishes ahead of them, they still have a chance. Uh, the last thing I would say is that if, if you actually do look at the, the draw, it's actually pretty funny how many, um, how many like rules are in place for like uh, in the draw, like teams that can't be drawn together. Oh yeah. And that's why we, we've said this a million times before too. It's like when people complain about seeing the same teams playing each other over and over, it's kind of like, cause that's how the rules kind of force it to be. Like it, there are just so many restrictions and limitations, political, geopolitical stuff and everything that, yeah, you're going to get pretty much the same teams playing each other over and over. And it's funny because there are other political ones, right? Like, you know, Armenia, Azerbaijan, right now you're Belarus, <laughs> Ukraine, so on and so forth. But it's actually even better because, they're they like separated by like too many like what they call like winter countries can't be in the same group oh, because God. they have yeah. to play games in like the winter and they're trying they need to like move those games away so like yeah. finland and like the faroe islands more or less like can't like you know be it together yep. ever um and then they also have like travel restrictions where they essentially try and keep the furthest like travel away from each other oh god so like iceland going to azerbaijan exactly and like you know they try and keep those like it, like it happens occasionally but they try and keep uh, a number of teams and it's hilarious because uh kazakhstan has like 30 countries which they like deem to be like too far because kazakhstan yeah. is fucking like miles and miles away so it's 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 very interesting once they put all this stuff in the computer uh right. that you were saying just you know you don't it, it does seem a little rote at times but I, sometimes there really isn't you know too too much of an option yeah, hundred percent, and that's why they have to have those computers, you know, behind it. Where, whereas Andre Arshavin or like Cafu drawing the ball, like they're, they're not going to remember all those rules. So yeah, you got to have the computers do it. Anyways, um, yeah, I think that'll do it for the Euro twenty twenty four draw. And yeah, like we said, hosted in Germany, I think that's going to be a great tournament. Uh, definitely one to to potentially go see uh, in person. Um, yeah, moving on here, uh, a, a little bit more of a negative note on some of these uh, uh, international fixtures that are upcoming. Obviously, the World Cup in Qatar next month. Um, but yeah, we've, we've just got injuries that the season already feels like it's been going on forever. They started early on. I feel like there's still a lot of that hangover from last year, still some, you know, sort of long-term fatigue, uh, afflicting these players. Uh, and yeah, we're starting to see a lot of these injuries. We talked about Kyle Walker and I mean, there's just like, there's going to be more, like we know that. And, and Jerry, why don't you go ahead and open it up? What other injuries have we got? I think the big one, uh, this might be the smallest big one that can exist, but, uh, Paulo Dybala. Uh, injured for mm. Roma. Um, and Mourinho said it was uh, not not very, very bad, but not bad. So, like, very bad, I guess. And, yeah, and he was kind of like, he's like, I don't think we'll see him again this year. You can do the math on that, certainly. Uh, and, and I say he's, like, the, the smallest big one because here's a guy who is almost surely would make Argentina's roster, but probably not going to start because for no matter how good or bad he's ever been in his career, he just never starts. Um, it's incredible, yeah. And so, um, you know, I, he would seem like a, a guy who's probably going to miss out at this point due to injury. Um, and then a few 
injuries that appear to be not very serious, but again, only six weeks away. Uh, both Trent Alexander-Arnold and Luis Diaz were subbed out by Liverpool. We'll talk obviously about the match in a, in a little bit here, but yeah. those guys were both subbed out. There hasn't been a whole lot said for sure about what how bad those injuries are. Uh, you know, they're kind of being tight-lipped about it. Uh, you know, neither one seemed like it's the kind of two-month injury, but again, it, all it takes is that one hamstring and, and you're good to go, or bad to go in this case. Or bad, yeah. 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 And then, or at um, least you're, just, you're not 100%, but you're like 80%, 90%, and that's still um, not good enough. Right, especially if like you're a Trent Alexander-Arnold who's whose spot not only on the roster but certainly the starting lineup is could be questionable you push yourself to come back too early and and, and so on and so forth I guess I don't know why I said Luis Diaz Columbia's not in the World Cup I just potted it together with Trent yeah, yeah fair play <laughs> uh, and then uh, Leo Messi is not going to be playing in PSG's um, Champions League match this week he also was missing over the weekend with a what they call a slight injury but again you know at his age 35-36 a slight injury uh, would be obviously turning into a massive injury would be catastrophic just for everything, uh, pretty much the entire global soccer community. So again, shouldn't be a problem, but that's just one I'm kind of just keeping an ear kind of facing at because if that if you were to miss the World Cup, that would be uh, the worst. Absolutely terrible. Yeah, it's his calf, right? And yeah. uh, it, it, I, I like I liken it to uh, you know Christian McCaffrey, like in fantasy football, literally just with questionable you know next to his name every week, and it's like you know. It, yeah, he's listed that way, but he'll probably end up being fine. But there just is always that chance that it's like it, it could be, you know, not good. Yeah. And quite honestly, it wouldn't have even probably been warrant mentioning if he just missed like the league match. But the fact that he's missing a Champions League match kind of just makes me just like a, a bit slight nerve there. Right. Like, and I understand they don't necessarily need him to win in the Champions League, but, um, you know, against uh, their biggest rival in the group, Benfica, you know, you obviously they would have liked to have him. So that that part just kind of gives me a little bit of pause to say, hey, let's let's hope this isn't really anything more than as you said just kind of that calf strain and he's good to go in a week or two yeah and and Gautier fielding uh daily phone calls from Scaloni like you're gonna sit Leo this this week right like that match your match does not Claremont foot does not matter think about Mexico yeah Yeah, exactly uh don't deprive the world of that man holy shit all right um yeah Jared will that do it for injuries uh so far crossing fingers yeah exactly tomorrow (laughs) and Wednesday I'm sure on Thursday we'll have a fresh new batch to uh analyze horrifically so uh, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, as always, like we get that it's a part of the game. It's just like more a part of the game these days just because of the fixture congestion, how much we just <laughs> almost like don't give a shit about the health of the players and just push them beyond their limits. It's like, what do you fucking expect is going to happen? Oh, anyways. Um, all right. Yeah, let's uh, let's move on then to uh, the actual domestic league action this past weekend. Uh, that'll take us to European Nonsense featuring Jared Reback as an Anglophilic podcast. We're going to go ahead and start off in the Prem. Uh, and Jared, I thought this would be a, an appropriate moment to pretty much retire the, uh, you know, how we feel about uh, being Arsenal and Newcastle supporters. But but almost like in a good way, because the whole point of it from the beginning was, you know, that, it, you know, we both suck <laughs> and we, we wanted to use it as like a segment just to complain and vent our frustrations about uh, the team. But that shtick is obviously done. Uh, and, and yeah, there, there's no need to commiserate with how pathetic our two teams are. Uh, yeah, both getting great results. And, and I'll kick it off with my arsenal, man. 3-2 against Liverpool. This was that game that, that we kind of circled on on the calendar ahead of time. This and City. And, and those were sort of the, uh, you know, barometers of success, how we performed against these teams. And and quite frankly, uh, and, and by Bias aside here, uh, not only did we objectively perform really well, uh, but this might have been the most exciting game uh, in the Prem all year. I don't know. What do you think? It's a very good game. Uh, And obviously, uh, Arsenal were were the better team, deserved the three points. Uh, Amazingly to me, and again, you know, 
trying to be I know I know your objectivity is, is certain, but to me I think this match says it, bizarrely a lot more about Liverpool than it does Arsenal well whereas, yeah, okay whereas I thought the Arsenal sure. the Arsenal Spurs match I thought told a lot more about Arsenal I thought that was like that was the match where they really laid it out and said hey like this is a legit team uh we're going to be a top four team we're going to you know make City have to you know when when Liverpool struggle at the beginning of the year we kind of were like oh city's gonna win the league by like 20 points right and i think arsenal is saying hey no like look we might not be able to beat city but they're gonna have to play into april they're gonna have to play into may it's gonna be serious this match to me as good as arsenal was as exciting as they were as as ruthless as they were in attack at times i mean this this, to me says so much about liverpool yeah yeah and and obviously we've alluded to all those sort of like smaller elements that have added up to a much bigger thing you know like Selling Mane in, in the summer window is not like the death blow, but yeah, it adds to it. You know, uh, Virgil van Dyke's sort of disinterestedness or saving himself for the World Cup isn't a death blow, but it certainly adds to it. And then you just kind of like add all these little things, Robertson's injury, et cetera, et cetera. And you now just have a team that, yeah, really has... I don't want to say like lost its identity, but it's certainly not the Liverpool that we saw even just last year or definitely not two years ago for crying out loud. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a struggle and, and they're even, they're very self-aware of it. I mean, I believe after this game, uh, Klopp and his presser, he conceded the title, you know, just like he did a couple of years back when they were pretty much out of it and had lost the city. They're like, okay, we can't compete for this thing. And he knows very well that this team as it is right now, they just can't compete for the title. I mean, top four will be a, push for them right and they're in quicksand because as you said these 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 things have gone wrong and and you know between the players and the coach they're trying to figure out a way out and it's just and they're making more mistakes as they do it i mean we we've talked exhaustively about trent alexander's defensive issues and god like he was again a mess in this match just you know pretty much was was way out of position for two of you know the two of arsenal's goals and then you have uh klopp who's trying to figure out what group of players he can put in um, is he going to, you know, we talked about him p- kind of playing with four attacking and could he do it against Arsenal? Well, he tried and it didn't work. Yeah. And then on top of it, like, why is he not starting Fabio in these matches? He's starting, you know, Tiago and Henderson who are going to be out- overrun physically, purely physically, right. by a young Arsenal team that is very athletic and very quick. And these are things that I don't think are second guessing kind of situations. I think you can look at the lineup and go, wait, why is Fabinho not playing? Or, um, you know, and I understand they don't really have an option behind TAA, but like at the point where they take Alexander Arnold out during this match at halftime and put in Joe Gomez, like another center back, like they, they, right. And so he really seems at this point, like he's run out of ways to try and fix the problems that they have. And I don't think he knows what to do now. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. It's kind of like when you, you start, Um, once you start tinkering with things like, yeah, sometimes you do need to make adjustments. Yeah. Sometimes you do need to stray a little bit from, you know, your philosophy or whatever, just to kind of, uh, solve a short-term problem or kind of like, you know, paper over the cracks for a bit, but, but this just looks like, yeah, I mean, they've kind of, they've, they've really lost their way. And, and I agree that it is, uh, it is definitely more about Liverpool. I mean, but come on, let's bring it back to my arsenal. I mean, they are humming, they're firing on all cylinders and I, you know, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I am genuinely looking forward to the city game, uh, so that we can really test our medal against them, you know, to use a cliche. I, I just think this team can compete with them or at least way better than we have 
in the past, and, and that's going to be a really good game. So, um, yeah, that, that's my arsenal, man. I, I'm just – I'm pleased as punch, man, from the first whistle to the last. And by the way, and it, I know I've said it before, <laughs> uh, every time, almost every time we do this, but, but this is an arsenal team that uh, faces adversity and overcomes those obstacles, like, during the game that they used to not – do what i mean we used to just wilt like a lily against these types of teams and now not only are we playing them you know with courage and gumption uh and and bollocks and bottle and like whatever you want to say um but even within the game itself when they come back i mean they equalize twice right we, we go up one nil in the first minute right and then they equalize then we go up two one and then they come out of halftime firing you know bobby firmino on the sub 2-2. Again, that's another Arsenal team that would have wilted, and we just didn't. And then, I'll just close it out on this, Jared. How about Saka? With the fucking balls, man. The courage to go up there. We know his history missing that PK in Euro, and all the hate he received and everything. And to, instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to shy away from this, someone else take it, he's got the balls to step up there and bury it and win this game, and good on him. Yeah, and look, I think that even from you know, from day one when that happened, despite all the abuse and everything else, I thought those players, not just him, but obviously the other guys who missed as well, really had a uh, as as positive an attitude as you can really have about the entire thing. Rashford too. Hey, look, like look, we we are good players. We know we're good players. This happened. It's a setback. It's not, you know, yeah. it's not going to define our careers. And, and here's another example of that. Uh, do you do you even want to do you want to talk about the controversy of whether it was a penalty? What's your what's your <laughs> uh, we, we can for sure. I, look, I, I agree with with uh, I agree with Klopp that it was pretty soft. There's no doubt. Um, but, you know, I've, I've seen softer ones called softer ones not called. You know, I've, I've seen worse ones called and worse ones not called. It's just like, I don't know, just like what is a penalty these days? What is a handball? I, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I try to like zoom out a little bit more these days and, and just try and see like oh, and deserve is a tough term, you know, but like who deserved to get the result here and, you know, did the result reflect that? And to be honest, I do think the result reflected it. However, we got there. Uh, but yeah, like, could that penalty have not been called? Probably. Uh, yeah. Because I, I kind of think it was a penalty. I was just, I wanted to give you a chance to, uh, to step in it, but you, you dodged the, the landmark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to be a lot more PC in, in my old age. By the way, I, you know, you said about Arsenal testing themselves. I think what does suck about this is that they were actually supposed to play city in like two weeks at, uh, you know, at home. And that matches actually it was, that was next. It was next week. It was like the midweek there's midweek games, by the way, next week in the Premier mm-hmm. league, because why the hell not? Yeah. But uh, I think Arsenal has that like uh, the made up Europa league game or something. So that match, just postponed uh, it would have been really nice to actually see that uh, as it stands since that game hasn't been scheduled the only man city arsenal game on the schedule is april 20th april. Yeah. <laughs> so we got a while to wait for it and who knows maybe it's all gone to pieces by then but uh anyways enough about my arsenal I, I, apparently there's you know something to come out of an fa investigation from that little scuffle that happened michael oliver the referee had to go over to the two coaches i don't know it looked pretty innocuous to me just like a usual just intense you know uh, testosterone type of thing but whatever we'll see what comes of that uh and and yeah jared uh in the you know in the uh in the spirit of the old segment that we have now officially retired uh how about that newcastle game uh, they won by a lot of goals. Uh, <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> apparently, they all of a sudden became gods of soccer, and uh, yeah, um, it, it's a, it's a very interesting kind of situation because when you have uh, the the transition between 
uh, stingy owner who doesn't give a shit and, you know, billionaire genocidal maniacs. Um, you kind of get like these new signings in who play really well. And then you still have, like the old guard still in there. Mm. This was an interesting game just from that. You know, obviously Bruno Gamare is a couple of goals. Uh, just probably won't be at Newcastle all that long. He says he wants to be part of the, you know, the project or whatever. But at some point, like, you know, I think like Real Madrid and Man City's names have already come up. So you can imagine how that'll go in the long term. Mm. And then you have like the Jacob Murphys of the world, like scoring goals, even though he's probably like a championship player. Yeah. Uh, getting like Premier League starts bizarrely. Uh, but yeah, um, get a couple goals early, make it easy. Um, sitting sixth in the table bizarrely again, even though that. And like, this is only like your second win. Third win. And like, third one have come in the last like six days. Yeah. Um, again, maybe says something about the Premier League that. Uh, that, like that Manchester United and Newcastle are running like five, six right now, even though neither one has been particularly great. Um, farmers league. Um, yeah, definitely farmers league vibes, but uh, yeah, Newcastle. Look, I think the, the system is kind of looks like it's starting to come into place. They actually play at Manchester United uh, over the weekend. So I guess, you know, we talk about Arsenal being tested or, so, or you know, whatever, uh, you know, Newcastle really um, obviously had that game against City early on in Liverpool, but really kind of had their last few games of you know Bournemouth and, and Fulham and Brentford. So uh, we'll see if they can do it on the road at, at United in a game where, you know, I feel like they can win, right? I feel like they have the, ca- the capability, but also it's the kind of game where they often lose for nothing. So we'll see if the if they really have changed or whether this is just kind of, kind of been a couple games against bad teams. All right. In the words of Michael Ballack, we will see. All right. Uh, a couple of the results here in the Premier League. Um, Crystal Palace 2 leads one uh, American wet noodle here. Uh, Jesse Marsh back on the touchline did behave himself uh, today. Although, Jared, we have to kind of put our American bias aside a little bit and maybe admit that he got a bit out coached uh, yesterday. Uh, Vieira switches to 4-4-2 in the second half and um, Leeds just couldn't cope with the width, and uh, that really opened the game up and, and got them back in it. And Eze, man, what a treasure. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I, outcoached is an interesting word here, and, and I don't know if I agree or I disagree, quite honestly, because, you know, their system is what their system is, and right now I don't think they have the players to be very uh, flexible in game. Oh. And so when Crystal Palace makes an adjustment – I don't know that he totally has all the tools at his disposal to try and fix it. And, and which is not to say he, he shouldn't try. Uh, and I think that is a part of it. You have to try and figure out a way to make it work, but you know, the, the bench is, is fairly grim uh, in terms of like having that depth with injuries and everything else. And so, and I, and I think that especially on the defensive end, some of the players are still struggling to kind of totally uh, fit your get, you know, kind of adopt to the system. And, and we saw this was what exactly happened to him at Leipzig, right? There were a bunch of players there that, that couldn't or wouldn't uh, really do what he asked them to. And I think defensively, they're just having a problem with that. Mm. And and I think that when you look at Adams and Aaron, Aronson, they're like so many games this year, they've been like the two best players on the field for leads. And it really is because I think they just so totally get the system. And, yeah. and, and I thought Adams was a rock in this game. Uh, Aronson had, you know, dribbled through about five guys to hit the post that led to the, the goal. That was sick, yeah. Uh, I think Adams pretty much had to like put a ball in for Bamford pretty much on a dime that he just wasn't able to convert on. So, you know, I, I think that assuming that Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson aren't like two of the best 50 players in the world, I think it's proof of concept that the system does work once you get used to it. 
it's just a matter of them, you know, kind of learning it. Because, again, I think they're very defensively frail. And I think in some of these second halves, it's not the first time this has happened, mind you. But in some of these second halves, they do look like they get overrun. And, and uh, trying to figure out where that is on the players and where it's on the coach and where that line is is, is something beyond my expertise. But, yeah. um, you know, obviously – a brighter start has has fallen by you know to a to a much more negative kind of string of results that see them falling down the table mm, yeah yeah for sure um yeah all i know is you, you have uh i can just see luke ailing just champing at the bit uh on the bench there to get in a little bit earlier you know you know just to like lunge in on on Zaha, you know, out wide in that channel, let them run right through or take the red. I don't know. Uh, but but yeah, leads are in. Um, I don't know. They, they went, came off to a really hot start. Right. And have, have cooled down a bit. And uh, yeah, like you said, I, I mean, maybe they were just kind of out kicking their coverage for a bit and still getting used to the system here and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But uh, yeah, just a poor, poor run of, of results for Leeds. Uh, we hope they get back on track. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's just kind of bury United here in the middle of the Prem. Uh, recap, uh, United 2, Everton 1, you know, these these plucky underdogs, uh, you know, they concede first, but just rally back to win. And uh, yeah, I guess United get three points. Yeah, uh, they're in fifth place with a negative goal differential. <laughs> and that's all you need to know. And that's all we're going to say. Which about. is really not, and, and I should say, that's not really an indictment of United as much as the Premier League. But yeah, I mean, look, uh, they uh, should beat them. Right. That's just what they should do. Um, if you look at the lineups for both teams, it's, it's not even fucking close. Um, obviously, uh, I want to say they get lucky because you never wish injury on anyone, but Ronaldo gets to come in as a first half sub, right? And, mm. and gets his goal or, or instead that we can stop like with the Aaron Judge 700 goal cut-ins for oh, uh, Ronaldo. Um, yeah, but look, they, they're comfortable because uh, Everton's not very good. And so you can control the ball on the road. You can pass it around and you can make, I mean, look, Willoughby gets that early goal, which is, I'm not going to say something out of nothing, but it's certainly not a, a high uh, value chance, right? It's it's a chance that more often than not is not going in the net, and then Everton only gets one shot the rest of the game on target. So you know United does the the professional um, perform, you know the professional defensive performance on the road, and it's a game that they should win. All jokes aside. All right, there you have it. Uh, moving on, Chelsea three, Wolves nil. Uh, Pulisic start alert. Um, I di- I didn't watch the game, uh, so I don't know exactly how he played. Uh, although. Um, I, I think getting on, uh, he did get on the score sheet, right? Was that his first uh, goal of the Premier League this year? Yes, first goal, yeah. only his second start. Uh, he was really good. Um, got, got a lot of dangerous chances. Uh, in the first half, he had a shot that was well saved by Saw. A couple other dangerous chances that he, you know, didn't put on target. But he was he was active, and he was. If you're, if you're, look, if you're going to get the second start of the year, and again, I understand it's Wolves and they're a relegation candidate and you're in there, you know, you're at home, so you're going to dominate the game, but you don't have a choice. You have to come in and you have to leave a mark on the game. You have to get a goal. You have to be dangerous or, you know, if not a goal, certainly an assist or something like that, where you can look at the manager after the match and say, Hey, look, you start me. This is, this is what I can do. And it's exactly what he did. And so from, from his perspective, it was, uh, it was a glorious day. Uh, all those like angry British Chelsea fans who like hate him and love Mason Mount have to kind of bite their tongue a little bit. No, Mount was actually good in this game too. Had a couple assists, but um, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're the one of these Chelsea Pulisic haters who like think he's like the worst player ever. And like, th- these are like the guys who go on Twitter and say, Oh man, I can't, I hope Pulisic starts for the U S against England because that means it's 11 on 10. Uh, those people had to kind of, kind of sit out and shut up in the corner at least for one day. Oh, my word. Uh, also, fair play to the Chelsea fans for their classy clap-up of Diego Costa. Uh, obviously, uh, 
yeah, I guess they have very, very fond memories of that studs up hatchet, man. Literally fucking <laughs> like Serbian prison guards murdering people on the pitch. I'm surprised you can play 35 minutes without falling down. I was going to say right, 55 so he, minutes without falling down. Yeah, and, and he, he started this game. This guy is not fit. Like he can do 20 minutes a game right now, but he started this game for some Yeah, reason. and it, I, I mean, like I, I, you could tell pretty much like he like he was not he was not long for the match and i love that the fact that even after halftime they're like all right we're gonna give you we're gonna give you another 10 to 15 to see yeah. you now okay Just like right after the goalies the second goal he's like all right we're, we're love it man oh oh and uh graham potter's glow up uh that we saw uh, against ac milan kind of uh, toning it back i guess I, I don't know is that uh you know, did, did he get a lot of uh, uh, flack on Twitter for that on social media maybe or just, maybe just one of those like the it's a European Knights kind of thing. Like it's, the, the lights are on, you know, the world is watching and now he's, he's got to make it a thing. And then like, you know, 10, a, you know, the 3 a or the 3 p.m. versus Wolves. It's just not, you know, it doesn't need the same level of of start. Yeah, I guess not. Or Yeah, I mean, if I'm Wolves, I'm taking that the wrong way. A little bit of disrespect there. He's not going to dress up for us. Uh, but yeah, anyways, Chelsea taking all three points there. Uh, so did West Ham at Fulham. Uh, yeah, just uh, I, I guess West Ham are, are sort of on a run and, and regressing back to the mean that they should have. I mean, that that start for them was just really strange, you know, bottom dwellers uh, for a while. But yeah, Fulham on a slide right now. Uh, just the lasting image from that one. Uh, well, I think it was the third goal, right? Tim Ream coming back like colliding with the goalie, like doing a split, trying to stop it. And uh, yeah, West Ham just burying for the third one to take all three points. Yeah, that was a, a great moment for Greg Berhalter, apologist, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to choose to look at the good news and say that uh, Jedi Robinson actually got his first start back from injury after mm-hmm. six or seven, uh, six weeks, I think, out. So, you know, this was one of those things that when he got hurt, we were kind of like, uh, we, do know, we don't know how long for at this point. You know, could this be something that extends into November? But him right back in for 90 minutes, uh, you know, looked a little, little rusty, which is again not to be uh, a huge surprise, but for us U.S. fans, it was a very much a sight for sore eyes, despite the result. All right, uh, and that there you have it. Uh, a couple other results: Bournemouth two, Leicester one. Uh, just I, I don't know, like kind of press repeat. Uh, what what else can we say about Leicester? I mean, now joint bottom, you know, with Nottingham Forest, but <laughs> them with a the game in hand. Uh, but yeah, just like. Basically, every episode, we're going to say, when are they going to get rid of Brennan Rodgers? This thing is not going to end up well if they keep him at the helm. Like, what the fuck is going on there? Well, clearly, as I said, I speculate that, you know, if they didn't, it was because they didn't want to pay him off. And uh, it seems to be the number one answer on the family feud board right now because there's no other explanation. Yeah, but but it has to be like, you know, you have to zoom out and look at the whole situation and it would be a net positive because like, Okay, pay him out $30 million to save the $200 million that you make, you know, by being in the Premier League. Or you could save the $30 million and then, like, go down to the championship. You know what I mean? Like, it just has to be a cost-benefit analysis here. Yes, but parachute payments exist. Ah, uh, that's true. That's true. All right. Well, I, <laughs> sounds like they're taking uh, the Mike Ashley approach here. Just about. Yeah, okay. Uh, so we'll leave that there and close out the Premier League with uh, Manchester City four, Southampton nil. Uh, just nothing remarkable here. Holland only with you know one goal. Uh, somehow not another nine nil for for Saints. Uh, I, I thought it was hilarious that Holland is like I don't, maybe he's just getting bored already of scoring goals. So that one where he just like dinged it off the post, trying to like angle it, 
rebound back to him so he could assist himself maybe like that's the next level for him is that <laughs> try to get like his own assist on his own goal he, he's just toying with him out there yeah and and you know this, what's amazing about this this league in, in general is just this idea right now that look it's an easy win for nothing you know pep's cracking jokes after the game about how he's pissed at Holland for only scoring once and not twice or, or three times and it's just like it, it just they, they sound like a team who's up by 25 points in march and it's just like there's like it's almost like they're on this coronation tour, and like they're not in first. Obviously, credit to our second place. But it's like, but I, but the funny part is they're 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 behaving in this manner and they're playing this way, and there's not a single person. I mean, I guess there's like the the hardest of hard Arsenal fans who are saying like, what about us? But by mm. and large, they're just doing this as if the league's over, and we're all kind of nodding along. Go, yeah, the league's like over, and like that's it's a stunning thing to think. Uh, you know, I'm listening to a couple of podcasts over, you know, over the weekend. And the, the question is not, are Arsenal and City going to have a title race for the ages? It's, are is City going to be uh, an invincible team this year? Are they going to lose a game in the league? Mm. And it's just like, and, and, and look, their play has absolutely warranted that in the league. Don't get me wrong. But it's, it's just a stunning kind of thing to watch where it's like, there is another team that is playing well. And by the way, Spurs are, again, only three points behind City. As, you know, they've been a little uneven, but they're still, you know, in the picture relatively speaking and we're just we're we've crowned them and that is a a, a, a tribute to how fucking ridiculously good they are and, and obviously you know if, if it's not Halan getting five goals you know Cancelo gets one and Foden's getting one and Mares get I mean Foden would be we would we would never be we would never stop talking about Foden if Halan didn't exist right like that's how good Foden's been and so mm-hmm. comprehensive team I mean they're just so fucking so good and it's just like i mean they're just a lot of fun to watch and and yeah they're gonna win the title i think i i'm gonna step out and, and make that prediction wow on a limb there jared uh and, and yeah I mean, Look, maybe you can't, always, you can't always predict the second place team in october is definitely gonna win the title okay okay, okay. <laughs> fair play uh yeah i mean maybe that's just what years and years of uh insane success uh will do the culture of a club like they've always been confident uh but yeah to your point they're almost like they have a little bit extra swagger, a little bit more, maybe even some of that overconfidence, I think, uh, at, at this point. And, and yeah, that's what being the best club in the world and then getting Erling Haaland, you know, might do to you. But uh, they, would mean, be, the chat- they, would, they would be like the child sports movie villain team if they weren't so likable. You know, like they're, mm. they're, they're Iceland from like the Mighty Ducks, too, except they're not like dicks. <laughs> right. Haaland literally looks like an Icelandic kid from like the Mighty Ducks, too. It's like it's. But like that's what they are. That they're that fucking good. And and if you know if they had a couple assholes on the team, you'd be like, oh, like fuck these guys. But they're just so fucking stunning to watch that you can't almost can't help it. Well, Jared, I'm going to channel my inner Dennis Green and say, if you want to crown them, then crown them. <laughs> right. Crowning them. <laughs> fucking crowning them. Okay. Um. Yeah. Again, I'm really looking forward to that game. Uh, although to inevitably, you know, get blanked three nil and hold on with the hat trick. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to reverse Serbian do double bluff that one. Uh, but yeah, Jerry, that's going to do it for the premier league. Uh, let's move on. We got uh, some more domestic league action to cover. Let's go to Spain, La Liga, um, you know, top two teams, Barca and Real Madrid, both win one nil to set up a joint first classico uh, next week. And, and Jared, to be clear, like I don't really buy, into the hype too much of the classical i don't really get hard for this game uh but to be honest this is cool for for a few reasons um and, and yeah again a uh, a joint topped both of those teams on 22 points in la liga uh for the classico next week that, that's gonna be a good one yeah look obviously tied the to top uh you know the the, the 10 a.m eastern time on sunday good little little breakfast in bed before the NFL mm-hmm. starts or whatever, right? Uh, it'll give you something to watch if you don't want to watch Leeds and Arsenal play. Um, mm-hmm. But 
Uh, you know, what, what I found stunning about these games is, as you said, it's, it almost seemed like both of them were just like, all right, let's just get the three points and get on to the big one. Yeah. It's funny because these two teams combined have about, you know, eight bajillion dollars worth of attacking players. And the goals that were scored in these two games were by Edder Militao and Pedri, uh, not the not the, <laughs> the the guys you would expect to score. But look, both of them, again, just moving along. We kind of talked about Madrid always just doing just enough to win, just kind of, you know, kind of playing on cruise control. Another example of that here. Uh, Barcelona tested a, a, a bit more uh, in their match on Sunday, but again, never, never really in danger of, of dropping points here. Well, right. I was going to say, like, it's so easy for these teams to look ahead to that Clasico matchup. And these are, you know, what do the kids call them? Trap games. Uh, and, and, and yeah, they might have had half an eye on the next one, but they didn't allow for, uh, you know, to drop points here. Both, uh, both sides getting the job done. And the stats in both games are like, you know, the possessions about the same, the shots are about the same. They both score in the first like 15 to 20 minutes. Like, it's just, they, they really are just about, you know, and, and, you know again, Barcelona played a, a slightly better team at home versus a weaker team on the road. But by and large, it really, they really did look very similar to each other in, in just terms of the game state and how they all looked. All righty. Um, Jared, anything else to mention about La Liga other than uh, a, a cornucopia of red cards? Yeah, I was going to say Osasuna uh, won Valencia 2 on Friday afternoon. Uh, big also from the American perspective. Yunus Musa back from injury came in as a sub in this game. Uh, but this was, I'm pretty sure, a game that meant to go to League Un and got lost. Uh, with three, <laughs> three red cards in this one and two missed penalties, one by each team. Uh, Osasuna finishes with nine men, Valencia with 10. And so, uh, I was when I saw this, I was like, wait, this isn't like a Nice versus Lens match. I, I'm unsure of how to process this in any other league. All right, very good. Um, anything else there? Are we moving on? No, let's uh, let's move on. Spain did not entertain me this weekend. Okay, uh, Syria did though. Uh, Milan sides uh, both win. Uh, AC Milan dumping Juventus into eighth place now, uh, where they've pre- actually pretty much been hovering uh, most of the year at this point. Still a clusterfuck at the top. Uh, and I think actually the, the the highlight of the weekend, Udinese 2, Atalanta 2, which, uh, thank you very much, is a top-of-the-table uh, clash. Uh, Atalanta, second place. Udinese, uh, third place. Thank you very much. Yeah, and uh, Udinese actually down 2 nothing in this match at home and actually pulls it back. And this is they've been the surprise team, right? Udinese's the... You know, like Aston Villa, right, of Syria, always finishing 10th place, always 12th. Every couple of years, they're down in like 15th or whatever. And then this year, like, again, they haven't done much. It's not like they've signed five, you know, great players and, and so on and so forth. They've they kind of, the you know, Delafay, who's still the talisman and a couple of the same guys. And for whatever reason, they've just played kind of above what we normally expect them to play. Um, and again, when you're down to nothing at home to Atlanta, uh, at Atlanta, who again is one of the better teams over the last five years, you kind of go, okay, well, you know, we, we, Udinese has been playing well, but this is the, you know, here's the, you know, they're not that, you know, that good. And then they, they get it back and they fight and they scrap and uh, maybe a, a match where they, uh, might not have deserved a, a draw, but you know we're certainly fair fair enough to get it, and, and in that sense we're deserving of it because they they never stopped. And so uh, I'd be interested to see how long they can keep this going because again, there's no logical reason why they should why they should just based on the players that that they start on a weekly basis. Yeah, very good. Um, are, are they the Union Berlin of Syria? You think, or or maybe maybe uh, Union Berlin is the uh, the Udinese of the Bundesliga? Or like, what what are the what are the actual like chances of these teams? You know, we're looking at it, and it's like you know, back when Leicester won the Premier League, and it's like they can't keep doing this, they can't, but they kept doing it. You know, could either of these teams do that? I mean, 
Udinese, I don't think can. I, I think, to be fair, I think they have more talent than like a Union Berlin. But I think to your point about what we've talked about with the car crash here is, you know, on, on any given year, if Union Berlin really wants to play well, they're going to have to dodge. They're going to have to figure out a way to get past Munich and maybe Dortmund. For Udinese, it's going to be land, you know, stepping around Napoli and Atalanta and both Milan clubs and Roma and Lazio, mm-hmm. Juventus if they can pull. And so I think that just the depth of the league is so much more, you know, there's so much more of it that I, I would be. I mean, I think if right, let's put it this way: if Udinese won Serie A this year, it would be more shocking to me than Leicester doing it. And I, and I think Udinese is like a higher profile team than Leicester. But just how many how many teams that are in Serie A that are that are generally speaking so good would make it to me just on a on a different level? Yeah. Okay. Fair play. Uh, and by the way, we glossed over the uh, the Milan results. If we want to say a quick word about that, Inter two, Sassuolo one, uh, and yeah, like uh, AC Milan uh, two, Juventus. No. Uh, yeah, Juventus sucks. Uh, yeah. Remember we, we talked about their, you know, a couple of their wins and being like, yeah, uh, they have to play a real good team to figure out if we think that. Uh, yeah, no, it turns out that when they play a good team, they still look every bit as rough as they did, uh, as, as we've seen them be all season. Yeah, going out in four four two. I mean, you've you've got you know Milik and Vlahovic as the two forwards, uh, and you just look at you know Rabio and Locatelli supposed to run that midfield. And I don't know. It just yeah, it it seems like Juve are just kind of like a bland, you know, barely above average team. Yeah, no, that's exa- and that's how they're playing. And again, it's it's been like this most of the year. And so you know, it, it, look, essentially, Juventus plays like Udinese should play, and Udinese kind of plays like Juventus should play. So I don't know if there was some sort of like you know like go swap of like souls or something before the season <laughs> yeah uh we'll, we'll investigate into that because it's it's plausible it, it very well could be who knows um anything else to say in syria jared yeah two more uh you, you know your old fave salernitana a 2-1 mm-hmm. win over hellas verona uh a stoppage time winner by blue idea uh that's a highlight you probably just want to take a look at just calling game on about like a 20 yard curler outside the box in the 94th minute uh, just heavy, heavy drama there. And just, uh, you know, Napoli four, Cremonese one, Napoli again, still leading the league. And they are a fucking wagon right now. Uh, you know, we talked during the Champions League kind of review about how, you know, how great they've looked offensively carrying over, obviously, the league as well. Just everybody and their mother scoring for this team right now. And, uh, you know, outside of City, again, playing the, the most exciting soccer in all of Europe. Yeah, for sure. Looking at the score line, I, I mean, a couple stoppage time goals for them that, that sort of padded the stats there. But uh, I mean, just like so much possession, so many passes completed, you know, way more chances. Uh, it looks like this one was never in doubt. And yeah, Naples are a force, uh, not just domestically, but in, in Europe. All right. Um, moving on to uh, your wheelhouse, the Bundesliga. Go ahead, Jared. Take us away. Uh, you know, I was going to start with, you know, the actual first place team uh, in the league. But I mean, Dortmund and Bayern was just such an incredible game. Uh, you know, this is your wheelhouse. I'll let you go ahead and take the lead on this one. This might be the most shocking result of the weekend. Um, and I say that sincerely if, uh, because we've seen this match over and over again for five, six, seven, ten years. Whether the game's at Dortmund, whether the game's at Munich. You know, Dortmund will get a couple chances early. They'll look like maybe for about 30, 35, 40 minutes they can compete. And then Bayern does what Bayern does. And in this case, it's Goretzka with the first goal. And then after halftime, they get the second goal. And it's it's two nothing and it's over, right? We we've seen this. I've seen this game more times than I would would, it, would care to admit. I hate it. I I just I hate watch it, but I watch it. And 
you know, then Modest comes on. And I want to talk more about him in a minute because I think his story is so fascinating. And, yeah. he plays in a and great you gutted game. this one out, even after the 2-0, didn't turn it off and disgust, just kept plowing through. Yes, I had to. I was like, oh, like, they yeah. <laughs> had this on, have a little Texas-Oklahoma on. I was like, all right, at least Texas is winning. Oh, you can, you yeah. know, all that. Uh, and then he plays through Makoko, and Makoko has a nice goal. And then, you know, uh, Kingsley come on to something dumb in the 90th minute. You figure, oh, you know, it's a red card, but it's not. You know, it's it's too late, whatever. And then the 95th minute, uh, Modest scores on the header off a, a brilliant, actually, pass from Schwatterbeck, believe it or not. The center back up just mm-hmm. keeping a ball that was about to go out inbounds amazingly, then getting the cross in. The sound in, uh, in you know, in, in the crowd was just absolutely insane. Uh, even on TV, you could just, I mean, it was a crazy thing. Uh, the entire Dortmund bench just running around the entire field. Like, they had their own, like, little pitch invasion, more or less. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the famous picture of Oliver Kahn literally, literally almost falling out of his chair. Which oh, dude, that's so good. We mentioned him on Thursday. But yeah. uh, it was so uncharacteristic of Dortmund, right, uh, to, to, to get knocked down like that and actually get up. Because for the last 10 years, they've gotten hit and they've just stayed down. And we've seen this against so many teams, right, where they get hit and they stay down or or they give up late second leads or they can't defend when they need to. And it was just this match was not the same Dortmund that we've seen so often in the last few years. And I can only hope it's it's a sign of things to come and not just the rivalry game or the, the derby or whatever. But I, I mean, it was it was an absolutely stunning turn of events. Yeah. And, and especially just to the outside observer who doesn't, you know, who didn't watch this game and uh, this, that and the other thing, you know, just looking at the lineups right here and you're just like Bayern are going to absolutely plow this team. Like, dude, Emery Chan is starting for Dortmund. Like, again, you just have a good old Hummels <laughs> in the back, ancient center back, you know, still holding it down there. And yeah, young blood like Jude Bellingham, obviously a revelation and all that good stuff. But, you know, you would think like a, a Julian Brandt, Mukoko and, and uh, Malin, you know, led front line uh isn't going to trouble Bayern Munich no yeah and and again even if you extend that to the subs right but in this game you know Bayern subbing on Mesrawi and Kimmich and Coman and you know whatever and it's like Dortmund's like all right uh Marius Wolf get in there like again Anthony Modest and and I do want to talk about him because here's a guy who has really a very fascinating career this dude who I'm guessing you've probably like never heard of is 34 years old Right. And you're like, wait, why did Dortmund sign a 34 year old player? Like, that's so far and away. That's antithetical it's to antithetical their entire philosophy. It's like teenagers only. Right. And, and, and this is a guy who's bounced around mostly France. Uh, he played a little bit in England and bounced around Germany. He actually went to China for a couple of years as well. But largely, he's been a, a Colne player for, for, you know, more or less six or seven years and, and was a good guy, good scorer for them. But Dortmund only signs him because Haller. They signed Hilaire, and Hilaire obviously has the cancer th- treatment yeah. ever. And they sign a 34-yard striker for one year because they don't have a striker. Like this, he's, And now he's essentially, like, all of a sudden the Holland replacement. And he doesn't play anything like Holland. He doesn't play, like, any Dortmund attacking player ever. And for the first, you know, month or six weeks of the season, he started some games here and there, but, like, just – doesn't fit in he doesn't play the way that Dorman mm. plays it's not his fault clearly like right you know he's again he's he's not 20 he's not going to change the way he plays overnight um and this is a guy who's already played more for Dortmund this year than he did you know uh 
even in the last couple of years where he was like, you know, getting on, well, going on loan to places and everything like that. He's had, you know, the, one of the years of his career last year and then gets to Dortmund and all of a sudden is like a fucking hero whose name is going to be remembered for all time. This guy's going to end up playing, you know, 15 or 20 matches for Dortmund in his career. And it's like, they're going to like build a statue of him one day, especially <laughs> Dortmund somehow like finishes ahead of Byron in the table. Yeah, it's incredible, right? Because the, the transfer, it just reeked of desperation. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of Diego Costa to Wolves and just like finding these old has-been strikers to sort of just like fill a gap, you know, because of just terrible injuries, you know, one, two, three strikers ahead of them going down. And you're like, okay, this isn't going to amount to anything. And then, right, he turns into the fucking hero. Yeah, and, and they admitted when they signed him. Like, and that's, you look, how often do you hear a guy sign transfer teams and sign a one-year contract? It yeah. doesn't happen, right? You always yeah. sign three or four. You always sign a guy to three or four years. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if he's back at like home next year. Like he plays his year and then goes back on a free. But literally, you know, they just went to him and they're like, hey, here's the chance of a fucking lifetime. No, I like, just play for a year for a Champions League team that like you've never really got to experience because we don't have a choice. And he was like, all right, yeah, cool. I'll do this for a year. And Colin's like, yeah, we'll take the money. Like, cool. Like, that, we're fine. And all of a sudden, again, he's a hero all out, of, out of absolutely nothing because he's really struggled for most of the year. Yeah. Uh, and Jared, you mentioned that the Bayern Munich subs coming off the bench. I don't know if you failed to mention it. And this makes, you know, Dortmund's uh, result even more impressive uh, that, that King Chupo Moten came off the bench as well. And they still weathered that storm. Yeah, Chupo, he scored in the Champions League last week, getting 15 minutes in uh, in the Dortmund Bayern match. Like, it's moving, looking on up for him. I love Chupo most. <laughs> what a random, just... most random career ever. It really is, dude. Amazing. Um, okay, but yeah, let, let's give some credit to the actual uh, top of the table team, Union of Berlin, stay top uh, with a win over Stuttgart. And uh, again, Freiburg, let, let's mention these these smaller, you know, mid to, to lower table clubs that are competing uh, against the, the, the Bayern Munichs of the world and uh, top two in the Bundesliga. Freiburg staying second with a 2-2 draw against Hertha Berlin. Yeah, it's got to be really probably, I think it's probably reaching the point for Bayern uh, where this shit's just getting really frustrating and forgetting the fact that they blew the lead and, and have a draw. But the fact that like, you know, again, we talk about how long can these teams do it? How long can they stay at the top? When are they going to give it up? And it's just like every week, right? It's just, oh, yeah, yeah uh, Union, by the way, they won again. And uh, oh, Freiburg, they were in a pretty tough road game against, you know, a, a team that might contend for a, or that could in theory contend for a spot in Europe if they if they go on a run. Oh, yeah, they they drew one. They drew one late to get another point. And it was like you're buying and you're grinding out these draws and you're not playing well. And these other teams are just they just keep getting results and they just keep adding points to the total. And look, just like City, right, we're all going to sit here and say, what Bayern's going to win the title. We know this. Right. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But again, especially in a 34-game season, each win, it's just the margin for error just keeps dropping just a bit, just a bit, just a bit. And for now, it's still probably not a problem. Look, they're four points out of first. It, it's They're fine. But they keep drawing games randomly, and Berlin steal, keeps stealing games. This one on the road, you know, in the last 15 minutes. And it's just, they're, it's, it's, they're just fucking annoying, I, I think, at this point, to Bayern more than anything else. They're just like, can you, like, idiots, just start losing games. Like, why, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we will obviously keep our eyes peeled on that one throughout the rest of the year uh, and see how that turns out. Uh, I have a feeling it might regress back to the mean, um, but it'll at least be a fun ride along the way. Um, and let's go ahead and close out the uh, the, the domestic league roundup with uh, our favorite uh, France League uh, affecting my best Dr. Manuel Rodero. Uh, yo, dude, so Claremont foot won, um, but friggin' Angers lost. Uh, PSG, though, against Reims. 
Uh, zero zero there uh, with a crazy red card. And also, Stro, you're a Jackio. Oh my God, beating Marseille. Yeah, uh, three notes I have. Um, Leon sucks. We, I said that last week. Okay, yeah. Again, uh, they fired uh, their manager and hired Lauren Blanc. Uh, to try and steady the ship. I think they're winless in like four or five, including a dreadful couple of home results in there. Uh, as you said, uh, Sergio Ramos, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he got a red card. I'm confused. And uh, you'll, you'll love this one if you're, if you're unawares. Um, gets called for a foul in midfield or whatever, gets the yellow. Again, no big deal. Decides to be all Sergio Ramos about it and argue with the ref. And 30 seconds later, gets sent his marching orders for, uh, a, you know, essentially abusing the official. Uh, yeah, doesn't Sergio Ramos, like, do this all the time? 28 red cards in his career. Uh, <laughs> 28. Uh, at least this one wasn't for, like, a fucking horror tackle where he, like, broke some dude's leg. But, yeah, this one for descent. But kind of yeah. left PSG. Or pulling Mohamed Salah's arm out of the socket and, like, somehow getting away with uh, that. Kind of left uh, Gautier after the match kind of perplexed. He goes, yeah, like, all right. He was kind of like... Yeah, he says something to the official, but it's the same fucking thing that everyone always says to the official, but he got sent off because he served your Ramos. And to that I say, good. Yeah, good. That's karmic retribution right there. <laughs> and uh, finally, uh, Lil gets a one nothing win, but for an American perspective, this is big because for the first time all season, I believe, or maybe the first time since like the first weekend of the season, Tim Wea got on the field for about 15 minutes in his return for major. I do believe it was actually the first time he's played all year. So again, trying to get these guys healthy before the World Cup. Uh, at least for uh, for now, Tim Way can hopefully get some minutes and uh, be ready to contribute for the U.S. Uh, next month. All right. Very good. Uh, and that will do it for our domestic league uh, roundup. Let's move on uh, to the next segment here. Uh, MLS Corner featuring Jared Reback. Uh, Jared, I-, I felt like I was sold a bit of a false bill of goods uh, last week because I thought we were finally done with the regular season. Uh, and-, and now it was the playoffs. Apparently, I guess there was like one uh, week of games left. I- I'm with Wayne Rooney. Uh, quote, thank God the season is over. <laughs> uh, and now we finally get to go to the playoffs uh, is obviously for a different reason. Uh, finally, this this horror nightmare of D.C. United season is done. <laughs> I can maybe look ahead to next year. But uh, but yeah, go ahead. So what happened in the MLS and how are we looking now? Yeah, so I'll just I'll kind of do this. Obviously, they have their decision day. I'll kind of just go based on the seeds in each uh conference that made the playoffs and talk about the pertinent results. By the way, that's so like American sports, like calling the last week of it like decision day. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, got to brand it. All right, go ahead, man. Go so, ahead. Uh, you know, as we've talked about, of course, throughout the year, Philly, the best team in the East, clinches home field in a bye uh, w- with an easy win over, I think they beat Toronto. Uh, Montreal finishes comfortably in second with a road victory in Miami, which sent Miami actually down to sixth. Uh, the New York teams finishing three and four. Uh, Antifa, uh, or, uh, GOPFC finishes third with a 2-1 win at Atlanta. They'll be hosting their first-round playoff game next Monday night at, uh, let's see, oh, yeah, Red Bull Arena. Got it. Uh, <laughs> um, the Red Bulls will be hosting their first game against Cincinnati in the 4-5 matchup on Saturday afternoon. They beat Charlotte 2-0. Uh, Cincy beat the aforementioned D.C. United to finish fifth. And uh, the big game in the East, Orlando, a uh, 2-1 win at home versus Columbus. Columbus just needed a draw in this match and scored the first goal. But as has been their want in the last two months of the season, they gave it up. A penalty in the 82nd minute. Uh, Orlando scores and survives to make the playoffs. Again, they will play Montreal on Sunday. And again, as I said, Philly with the bye. Uh, and Columbus, as I said, was the only team that had a chance in this one. Um uh, yeah, Caleb Porter, the manager there, probably has to go after this. Editor's note, and he did go, literally 26 minutes after Jared and I finished recording this. Omniscience? 
We'll let you be the judge of that. Uh, I know he's a name that we've heard of for a long time in Portland and the University of Akron, but I think he's worn out his welcome probably there. Uh, on the West. Which which happens, okay. by the way. And I always use, you know, the example of like Gary Williams at, at Maryland basketball. It's like just because he's a big name doesn't mean that the game hasn't passed him by or that he's not willing to engage in, you know, the new tactics for recruiting players and this, that and the other thing. And it's just like it's it's not saying fuck you. Let's just fucking fire the guy. It's it's thank you for everything you've done. But it's just kind of time to move on. Yeah. And I, and I think that. um Again, when you so routinely can't finish a game out, when you give up that many goals, and like I understand the players still need to be able to close it out, and, and often those tactics are not the most complex, but there, there is, has to be something fundamentally tactically wrong if it just keeps happening. At yeah. a certain point, we can say, oh, this guy made an error here. Like, the go, look, it's a handball, right? That happens. It's not the manager's fault the guy commits a handball. But when you do it over and over and over again, you really have to ask some questions. And, and again, this is a team that has been near the top of the East for quite a few years, and, and they're just kind of on the downswing a little bit. And, and again, I, it, it might just be change for change's sake, to be fair. And I would suspect if they do make a change, Porter will find a job within about eight seconds. Uh, but, you know, nonetheless, I just think, it again, might be one of the situations where this manager in this spot just – it might just be the end of a, a natural progression. All righty. Uh, and John, I'm sure you'll be keeping your eyes peeled uh, for those MLS playoffs and keeping us abreast. Do you want to talk about the West or you want to skip the West? Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Talk if about you're, the If West. you're from Cascadia, you want to skip the West. That's why. I, and I know that you, your family has some Cascadia ties. Uh, yes. Yes, we do. But you know what? Again, it's the greatest soccer podcast in the history of the world. We have to cover even the tough stuff, uh, such as the Portland Timbers not making the playoffs, which is like which actually. Yeah. I mean, even for a non MLS fan, you thought it was like death taxes and like Portland making the MLS playoffs, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. In this case, uh, we'll talk about that one in a sec. Uh, LAFC, as we know, for, for months at this point, has been the number one seed. Uh, they did lose one nothing to Nashville. Uh, on the last day of the season. And by the way, uh, Joe Willis for Nashville, 14 saves in the match, including a penalty on LAFC. So talk mm. about <laughs> LAFC throwing everything. That's Tim Howard, Belgium. Right. And, and by the way, and I, I say that only, to, I say this only to say that, remember the MLS playoffs are single elimination, which means if you have a game like that, that's how you get eliminated when you're the better team, right? Like that just game kind of happens. Um, yeah. Like, and in the NHL too, you have a goalie that's standing on his head throughout the playoffs. You can literally win the Stanley cup just by that. Exactly. Austin, again, I think it has been very good second half of the season. Uh, they get a draw. They will finish. Uh, they finish second. They will host Real Salt Lake more on them in a second. Uh, Dallas, another solid season. Again, they just keep selling players onto Europe, keep replacing them and keep moving on a, a solid third place finish. They will host Minnesota who got in at the last day as well. Mm. LA Galaxy, as, as much as we kind of had a laugh at them and their struggles, they finished fourth. They will host Nashville as well. We're already talking about Minnesota and Salt Lake. And Portland uh, is the one that really falls out here. Um, uh, they lose to RSL 3 nothing. Um, and uh, like again, talk about a coach that might need to go. Portland again, an MLS Cup last year, so this might be more reactionary on my end. Yeah. But like again, like Eric Williamson, perhaps the best midfielder on the team, the engine, the guy who kind of controls everything, uh, gets the the DNP coach's decision in this game. And Savarese after the match really wouldn't say why. You know, kind of like he kind of alluded to an effort thing, which again, if you've ever watched Eric Williamson play, doesn't really comport with yeah. anything you know about the guy. And so, uh, you know, again, a lot of questions around that team um, uh, and, and they'll have to figure out what went wrong. Uh, Vancouver, again, also kind of just missing out Colorado as well. And we talked about Seattle after what I think 13 straight seasons 
of making the playoffs, tied for the longest streak in the league. Uh, they are not in the playoffs this time. It's again, it's the end of you talk about you know death taxes in Portland, but it really has been death taxes and uh, and Seattle and, and yeah. now the three longest playoff streaks in MLS all belong to Eastern teams. Uh, Philly five in a row, New York City FC seven in a row, and the Red Bulls thirteen years in a row in the playoffs. But again, no titles to show for it because that is my lot in life. Uh, yeah, fair play. Um, Jared, quick, you mentioned Real Salt Lake. I mean, yeah, a, a decision day uh, result there to send them into the playoffs. Is this just sort of their their DNA at this point? Like, do they kind of just shoot for the seventh seed and then they're going to make like a crazy run like they did? Yeah, that's, and remember last year, that's exactly what happened. They literally yeah. scored a goal in stoppage time on the last day of the season to make the playoffs. What are like the 95th minute, something like that? And, yeah. and again, in this game, they need to win to get in or else, right? And then sure enough, they get into that seventh seed. And again, it's one of those teams that like you look at on paper and you go oh yeah we'll love play. like austin austin in that one sense is looking at this yeah we would love to play real salt lake at home that i'd rather play them than minnesota rather play them than nashville so on but yeah for some reason salt lake just has a tendency to uh pull games out of their ass that they have no business doing that's hilarious yeah rinse and repeat why not why not um all right uh sorry jared yeah uh false start before uh, are we good to move on from the mls yeah just uh throwing out handy Mokhtar Mukhtar wins the golden boot uh fucking mvp of the league probably no doubt so uh and will be very dangerous for nashville again they're the five seed not necessarily expected to make noise but as long as he's on the field anything could happen if you're looking for an early dark horse good all right yeah we'll be uh tuned into that for sure a good old-fashioned american single elimination knockout tournament because that's how we do things over here, America. All right, um, moving on. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up this uh, episode here. Uh, let, let's kick it off with the old tried and true uh, own goal of the day. Uh, Jared is your gracious podcast host. I will allow you to go first. Yeah, um, a sad one uh, here. Uh, Enoch Moepu, a young Brighton player, I believe 24 years old. Uh, they signed him from Salzburg last summer. So you know that that guy probably has a lot of talent and is, was going to be a star. Uh, has had to retire due to a heart condition that mm. is hereditary. Uh, and again, it's one of those things, right? We, we've obviously the Christian Erickson thing, as we've talked about incessantly, being yeah. kind of like that bellwether kind of situation. Well, uh, you know, he went to actually to go play with Zambia during the last uh, international break, got sick on an airplane. Uh, got checked out and it turns out he has a heart condition and it's just not safe for him to play anymore. And so at 24, um, he's, he has to retire and, and it's just, it's, it sucks when that happens, right? We talk about even guys at 30 or 31 that, that have to retire due to injuries and they feel like they didn't get the full career. But he, again, here's a guy from Zambia, right? From a small town, literally the, the rags to riches story. And, uh, and it just got it ripped apart, like ripped away from him within like weeks. And it's just, it's a miserable, sad thing and, and all the best. Hopefully he can live a long, healthy life. Maybe if he wants to get into coaching or whatever else he wants to do and he can, he can still be involved in the sport somehow. Yeah, such a shame. But but right. I was going to say, I guess the you know, the silver lining to all this is that they identified this early on enough so that they can, you know, so that he can live his life. You know, imagine if this thing had, uh, you know, gone undetected and then, uh, you know, like a Christian Erickson or worse, uh, you know, potentially. Right. If he, if he passes out on the field versus getting sick on an airplane, kind of when his body's already kind of stressed out. Yeah, absolutely could have been worse. God, this, still... this stuff is the worst. Who is there? There was like in, in the U.S. we had um, there was like that college basketball player the celtics player too who just like you know had the heart thing collapsing on the court yeah at a very uh, i mean yeah it does, it's happened a few times uh it's it's you know fortunately in the u.s most of that stuff was in the 80s um mm. and sometimes 
had something to do with cocaine. Um, ah. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, the Hank Gathers one is probably the most famous one in the U.S. where a guy just like literally just drops dead on a basketball court. And, and you know, and it's it, it's scary because you see this these things happen. I mean, even like shit, um, University of Michigan, one of their their coaches, Mike Hart, I think he's like the running backs coach or something like that, just passed out in the sidelines on Saturday and rushed to the hospital. And he's he's OK, but like he wasn't you know not even in the game. But like if you're going to do it, better to do it on a college football sideline when there's doctors and, and medical personnel everywhere. And right. there's something to be said for having the bad thing happen to you at the right time. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, your, your career might be lost or something like that, but at least you get to live and, and you know, get married and have kids and, and all that good stuff. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Scary stuff. But uh, glad he will. Uh, you know, it's been detected and hopefully he'll live a long uh, life. And yeah, like you said, stay connected to the game. Um, my own goal today is going to be also on, on kind of a, a negative, sad note here. Uh, and, and we kind of stuffed it here at the end instead of making it a topic and spending too much time on it, because uh, I, I think we're <laughs> as the story developed, Jared, we're, we're kind of categorizing this as shitty people doing shitty things and then trying to cover it up. Uh, but I, I think everyone saw the uh, Iker Casillas tweet uh, coming out of the closet and, uh, you know, being applauded uh, by by so many people saying, that, you know, it's it's very it's such a brave thing. And uh, obviously it is courageous, you know, to, to come out of the closet. It shouldn't be. But uh, it is still in this day and age. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the Carlos Puyol uh, follow up tweet, though, kind of like muddied the waters a little bit made us a little bit confused uh him saying like you know tell the world about us it's time to tell the world about our our relationship whatever it was uh and then yeah obviously after that uh it then coming out um that Iker Casillas says his account was hacked uh Puglio apologizing for his you know flippant and uh, uh obviously insensitive response to it who knows what the truth is but I think Jared you put it best um you know at best, this is, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead. Why don't you explain it? I, I mean, it's basically like, it, it probably is two of these guys uh, being dicks and joking about coming out as being gay uh, and being super insensitive. Uh, and, and one of them is now covering it up pretty much. Yeah, I mean, like at best, uh, Casillas is telling the truth and he was hacked. Uh, but Puyo is an asshole. And worst case scenario is Casillas wasn't hacked and they're both assholes because I, I think Puyo can't really get away from it. Uh, either way, what he said, uh, if he said like, I mean, he pretty much said it like, oh, yeah, like it was a bad joke. Well, OK, then you're an asshole. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't like how, how many times do we have to go through this before someone realizes yeah. this shit's not funny. Uh, and again, I, you know, I don't want to I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say Casillas is definitely lying. Maybe maybe he was hacked. I don't. But nonetheless, it's this stuff tends when people say they're hacked. I think the the ratio of them actually being hacked is fairly low. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of the LGBTQ groups that have have really called out both players. So, uh, you know, I think those groups tend to not buy the story uh, as well. You know, again, I'm not going to find him guilty in absentia or whatever, but it it does certainly seem like they they both kind of were having a having a very misguided laugh. And it's just it's so frustrating because, you know, I know that, you know, we both know people in our lives that are that that suffer through this shit. And obviously um, the abuse is gotten worse in many ways over the last few years and in some ways it's you know we've we've made strides but in a in a world where this is you know a random guy from australia comes out earlier last year last year or whatever and like gets a lot of shit for it gets a lot of support but gets a lot of shit to have stars of the game legends of the game just be so openly ambivalent about that struggle is is very very frustrating well yeah because what it does is trivializes what for many 
people is like a huge moment in their life. Like they have an identity and they're afraid to like be themselves in the world, which is just like not okay. And then to like joke about that uh, obviously trivializes it. And, and, and to add to that one day, I don't know when, right? It could be in five years, 10 years, one year, there is going to be a legend, whether it be current or former, that is actually going to come out. The law of averages says this is going to happen on a big scale. Yeah. And, when it, that happens, people are going to remember this and they're going to be like, well, wait, is this person see-? like and it's now and now it becomes a thing that it doesn't need to become. It's already going to be a th- like whatever it's going to be. But now you have this added thing of like, oh, well, maybe this guy's being an asshole like Casillas or maybe, you know, maybe now maybe there's a, a part of that LGBT community that now believes that this person's lying. And like, it just it just makes it can create so many different issues, uh, and especially for people that are well-intentioned. And it's just it, as I said, it, it just sucks. It's it's so dumb. It sucks. And that is all the time that we are going to give to it. Uh, no more oxygen for that bullshit. All right. Um, yeah, well, let, let's go ahead and wrap this this bad boy up, Jared. And as we are wont to do, uh, end the podcast on a positive note. Uh, yes, we are officially in stoppage time. So it is time for our stoppage time winners. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, mine, uh, let's let's go to the women's game here, uh, because obviously some rough news, uh, obviously coming out of that. We covered it with the Yates report last episode. Um, but yeah, the uh, the England-USA uh, game uh, the other day, just an international friendly. I think everyone was really, really looking forward to this. Uh, obviously, the U.S. being uh, a traditional powerhouse, uh, England catching up, the rest of the world catching up. And, and that's why it's my stoppage time winner, because even though, uh, you know, my girl Lindsay Horan and the rest of the U.S. women uh, uh, unfortunately fell short, uh, losing two to one uh, in it was in Wembley, right? Yes. And, and yeah, one of the most, you know, biggest crowds ever for, you know, a women's soccer game and all that good stuff, even though uh, the United States uh, lost in that game. I think it's a really good thing that that gap is closing in the women's game. We got the World Cup coming up in Australia and New Zealand next year. Uh, And and yeah, for it not just to be a foregone conclusion that the U.S. is going to smack everyone or, you know, like they'll see the Dutch in the final and, uh, you know, we'll still beat them. No problem or whatever. The fact that uh, the gap is closing, there's a lot more competition uh, and a lot more teams that are that are up there. I think that's really, really good. And and credit to uh, uh, Sabrina Weghorst. I mean, just an incredible coach. She's now done it, uh, not just with the Dutch, but now with the English here uh, winning Euro uh, and, and, you know, one of the favorites going into the World Cup. I, I think it's just really cool to see. Yeah, a winner to the U.S. team, the England team, the fans, right? The eighty thousand or ninety thousand, whatever it was. Uh, the only the only person who on the field who does not get a stoppage time winner is the referee who was uh, quite that part across the board in this entire. He was out of. It was depth. bad. It was very bad, and I still am unsure as to how that second U.S. goal was um, not counted uh, due to an offside line that didn't make any sense. Trinity and I, I do want to give credit, robbed. and and you know, obviously we we look at it through our American blinders, but. From what I understand, even on like on British TV, I know Ian Wright was was on one of the channels, and even at halftime, those those guys were going pretty hard after the ref for that offside call because it's like, how on earth are you possibly making that call when you have no sight, you know, no vision or no no camera angle that really shows anything there? And, and yeah, like, what was clear and obvious? I, I and they they didn't have like the line right down the thing or the computer imaging where they could prove it. It just looked like a from the from an from a diagonal angle. Maybe she was offside, maybe not. I, I didn't think that was obviously. Then that penalty call against England in the second half where it hit the girl's ass and not anywhere near her arm. Just a rough day. And and I was I credit the even the British side for being like, yeah, that was fucking that was horrible. That was rough. But other than that, it was it was a great two hours. Obviously, as you said. 
and a little disappointed from the U.S. perspective with the result. But again, given all the injuries and everything else, just it was a great day for women's football. And, and that's the first time I think we've ever been able to say that about a friendly, which is uh, a testament to the grow- growth of the game. Yes, sir. 100 uh, percent. Jared, what's your stoppage time winner? Uh, I was going to give one to FC Tucson uh, for one of their goal scorers, but they didn't win, so he doesn't get it. So I'm going to give a, a partial tap hit to distant cousin of the pod, Luca Mastro Antonio, uh, who scored a goal for FC Tucson. You know, oh, okay. very distant cousin. But I'm actually going to give it to uh, – we're going to go to a little Turkish delight because we have not talked enough about Turkey this year. I know we, we spent a lot of time, right, talking about it. Uh, Fenerbahce 5, uh, Fatih Karagumruk 4. And again, we and this is not necessarily new stuff that we've talked about in the past with some of these guys on you know random players on random teams. Yeah. But again, always a good five four game is always good for us. Um, in that game, we have the following: Fabio Barini, a name I haven't heard in a long time, with a mm. brace for Fatih. Uh, Enter Valencia, the Ecuadorian, with a hat trick in this game, including two from the spot. Actually, one of Barini's was from the spot too. So three penalties in this game, and just your. Uh, your casual 95th minute winner by uh, Mitchie Batshui, uh, obviously getting off, uh, doing well in Turkey after his move there. So a little, you know, a little five, four with some penalties and some stoppage time winner. And just a little bit of that, that perfect quintessential Turkish delight that we love so much. Exactly. Oh, you can just always count on Turkey to provide the, the entertainment there. Love it, Jared. Oh my God. Right. It's, I mean, it's literally a league of like, of Obi-Wans pretty much. Yeah. And, and the three, and by the way, we talk about, uh, you want to talk about it? Italy, uh, Italy being crazy, and I and some of these teams in Turkey have played you know a couple more games than others. But right now we got uh, Demispor, Besiktas, and Konyaspor all tied at 18 points at the top. Fenerbahce, Istanbul, Basak Sahir, and Galatasaray all on 17 points, and Trabzonspor on 16 points. So the top seven teams in the league separated by two points right now after anywhere between seven and nine matches. All right, uh, and that's how that podcast has to end. Looks at their watch, points to the center circle, and blows for full time. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Uh, to you, Jared, I appreciate the time, the insight, and, of course, the banter. Uh, to the traveling supporters, uh, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And until next time. Bye-bye. He's our striker. He's on fire. Ooh, hot. Harder than Mitrovic, scoring goals home and away. He's playing for the ticks and he's on fire. Grand talk was a catastrophe. He just wouldn't go away. Oh, and then Will Drake turned it round. Cost us one million pound. Whoa, I said Will Will Grigg is on fire. Come on now. Will Grigg is on fire.